This episode is brought to you in part by Zondervan, publisher of The Perilous Fight, Overcoming Our Culture's War on the American Family, written and narrated by retired neurosurgeon and politician Dr. Ben Carson. Available now everywhere you get audiobooks. Welcome to The Better Samaritan, where we're having conversations about how to do good better and faithfully. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Better Samaritan Podcast, where my colleague Kent Annan and I invite you to journey alongside with us as we seek to learn how to do good better, whether in everyday life interactions or complex humanitarian challenges. I'm Jamie Ayton, and with me today is Curtis Chang to share about his new book, The Anxiety Opportunity. Curtis is an executive director of Redeeming Babel and is a consulting professor at Duke Divinity School and a senior fellow at Fuller Theological Seminary. Curtis, welcome to the Better Samaritan podcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Well, I've really been looking forward to having a chance to connect. You know, we first got connected back during COVID-19 where some of our work intersected. And I actually remember you sharing this great video course that you were working on about anxiety. And so when I found out that it's now a, a book, I was just really looking forward to being able to talk with you today. Well, thanks. It's been a long journey, and it's interesting to think about the origins of this book, The Anxiety Opportunity, as stemming from the pandemic and and remembering back to March 2020 when the world was plunged into deep anxiety and has stayed kind of in in that place since. And so this has been a journey that actually you were part of the origins of in some way. Yeah, it's such a timely topic. And like you said, that it's something that we really, I think, came into everyone's awareness about the issue of anxiety. And also, like you said, it's not something that's going away anytime soon. So as we go through and talk some about the book, I'd actually like to start a little bit more with just kind of understanding where did the idea of this come for you? Yeah, it came really from the middle of the pandemic, actually the beginning of the pandemic, when it became apparent to me that Everyone in my work, both in my secular facing work as a consultant and in my theological work facing the th- a church world, was suffering from anxiety. And that there was not a very good way for people to make sense of and respond to their anxiety, especially for Christians with a spiritual perspective. But also, even for those who weren't Christians, I think they started recognizing there's some deeper existential issues behind their anxiety and didn't have a good, really good framework to process that. And so that's really when I started creating the first the course that was called Anxiety as Opportunity for Spiritual Growth to help people do that in the middle of the pandemic. And as people took the course, responded to it, gave great feedback, you know, expressed how much it helped them, how much it really revolutionized the way they look at anxiety. I thought, oh, I need to figure out a way to get this out to more people. And that's really where the impetus for writing the book came from. And so I'm really excited about that. The word anxiety can be a bit loaded at times and other times not have much meaning to it, right? That it's a phrase that we use a lot. And so I'm a Chicago Cubs fan. So I use the term (laughs) anxiety a lot. Oh, are you really? Yes. Yes. I grew up in Chicago. So yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. Yes. We've had a lot of anxiety. (laughs) Yes. Yes, absolutely. And traumas. But, you know, we sometimes throw words like that around. How would you actually define it in your own words? I think it's a great question, Jamie, and I think it's important to distinguish between anxiety 
and anxiety disorder. So anxiety, I would argue, is a natural human condition that we all experience in the face of potential loss in the future. That's what anxiety is, is the feelings that come up of fear, of worry, that are, are actually quite human and quite normal, quite natural. And I would distinguish that from an anxiety disorder, which is when we can no longer tolerate, handle, hold that natural feeling of anxiety in sustainable, healthy ways, that it disorders us. It gets us into all sorts of patterns, practices, addictions, disabilities that make it difficult for us to thrive in the world. And the reason why I distinguish those two is because precisely how there's an irony here in play, which is precisely when you think you cannot tolerate anxiety, that you have to make anxiety, the natural human feeling, go away that's when you actually are quite vulnerable to sliding to anxiety disorder. Because one way that you can define an anxiety disorder that all of the studies on anxiety disorders show is underneath there is this pervasive inability to tolerate, to hold, to feel and experience, to go through natural, normal human anxiety, that it becomes so something we have to push away so much that we engage into disordered practices to make anxiety go away. And this is really one of the central messages of the book is that, and this is why the book is called The Anxiety Opportunity. And the subtitle is How Worry is a Doorway to Your Best Self, because I'm trying to reframe anxiety through the human experience for Christians especially, as something that they have to go through, the way you walk through a doorway, and that actually God invites us, God meets us at that doorway, invites us to go through it, and on the other side is profound spiritual transformation. As I was listening to you share there that that idea of an opportunity anxiety are typically two words that we would put in the same sentence very right. often, right? Yeah. That there's kind of this counterintuitive idea that you're really kind of leaning into. Could you share a little bit more about that kind of opportunity perspective? Yes. And it begins by having to reframe anxiety really from something that a problem that we, again, anxiety, the natural, normal human emotion from something that we have to always push away. And I think Christians typically fall into that trap of thinking that anxiety is something that cannot be tolerated, that must be pushed away in one of two ways. We either are taught to pray anxiety away or prescribe anxiety away. So in the pray anxiety away, this is in the Christian traditions and subcultures that actually go so far as to teach that anxiety is a sin or at least a lack of faith or a character flaw. And so we have to pray it away or use some other spiritual means to make it go away. And that it's a problem. If you feel anxious, it means you don't have enough faith, that you're not trusting God enough. This is where the misuse of that classic verse, Philippians 4, 6, is wielded as a clobber verse to say, you know, you shouldn't be feeling anxious. Do not be anxious. And so that's one way is to pray is that we make anxiety a problem rather than an opportunity is we think we want to pray it away. The other prescribe anxiety away is where, okay, people and Christians may think, okay, it's not really a sin, but it's instead a disease. It's a mental health disease that we outsource primarily to secular mental health or maybe some other Christian therapist to prescribe away with medication or therapy. And let me be clear, I have taken anti-anxiety medication. I've been in hours and hours of therapy. Those are good things. But if we engage those practices or that, that medication with the notion that the goal is to make anxiety go away, to prescribe it away, we fall into a trap because one, 
we still stay in that loop of trying to make something that you can't make fully go away, go away. And that, that's really what causes a lot of disorders. But also in that secular mindset of just prescribe it away, we don't walk through the doorway. We miss the opportunity that where God is inviting us to actually go through it because rather than going through it, we're furiously trying to do all these things to make it go away rather than enter it, realizing that there's transformation in that process. So then as that tension kind of builds up and we're struggling with anxiety, how do we actually start to walk through that doorway? My, my book outlines a number of things that we can do. So first of all, while I say anxiety is an opportunity and not just a problem, it is also a problem. I mean, <laughs> it is also, it's something that makes us feel bad and we need some way to respond to it. And so partly the scripture actually is full with a lot of great practices that we can engage in right away to help bring anxiety down to manageable levels such that it's something we can go through. Not make it disappear. <laughs> There's no promise there. And my book does not promise to make your anxiety disappear. But there are ways we can actually bring it down to manageable levels such that we can enter it and engage it as something of an opportunity. And my book talks about there's things like getting present, there's mindful breathing, there's physical touch. What my book tries to do is to actually show that all of those practices are actually rooted in scripture, rooted in, in fact, in Jesus himself. And the reason why it's important to do that is because I think a lot of Christians have received sort of tips or training or gone to a workshop on things like mindful breathing, on touch, on getting present and so forth, on mindfulness, but it's purely from secular sources. And so there's, at least for some Christians, the sense of, is it okay for me to do mindful breathing? Mm. Is it okay for me to, you know, because my yoga class is teaching me to that, but is that okay? And so partly what I'm trying to show is that actually, for example, something like mindful breathing is deeply biblical and tied to how Jesus actually imparts his very presence, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit to his disciples that, you know, John describes that as an act of mindful breathing. And so there's something about the breath that Jesus is very mindful about doing and conveying his presence and helping his disciples get present. So that's just an example of where I wrote the book partly so that all these practices that are swimming around in our culture, that Christians would have a way to say, oh, that one I can really embrace. That has actually biblical roots and origins for. So I would say that's one important thing. But then the real opportunity comes when we're really willing to go through that anxiety, having brought it down to kind of manageable levels. We can really go through it because there's so much that God wants to show us, teach us, reveal to us, and transform us through once we're able to actually go through it. And what are some of the ways that you see that going through the door and kind of embracing some of that anxiety, what are some of the ways that it can help transform us? Yeah. So most fundamentally, it's important to recognize again, that anxiety is the experience that human beings have when they are faced with the possibility of loss, right? So anxiety equals loss would be one way to really quite simplify what anxiety is. And that's normal. That's natural. That's human. All human beings will experience loss. And the reason we know that that is human is because Jesus himself experienced anxiety. And I know for some people that may sound sort of heretical, but it's it's a biblical. Now, that's different than saying Jesus experienced an anxiety disorder. But Jesus clearly, when you look at all the gospels, are very insistent in their depiction of Jesus as he heads to his loss, to the cross, which is the loss of all things for him, that he experienced troubledness, sadness, overwroughtness. I mean, the scriptures are full of this language, 
the Mark, Matthew, and Luke are really center that, especially in describing Jesus's emotional experience in Gethsemane. That's really where this this comes out. So I encourage listeners if you don't if you doubt me, just pick up those Gethsemane passages and see how Jesus is experiencing his impending loss. John locates this in John twelve because John doesn't have the Gethsemane story, but it's the same dynamic. He's deeply troubled in his spirit, and so. That gives us, I think, for me, great comfort to know that, oh, this is not a sin. This is not a problem. This is part of what it means to be human. It's so human that Jesus, in his incarnation, took on the human experience of anxiety when he was facing his you know, loss of all losses. So we too should expect we're going to experience anxiety when we face loss. And the reason why it's important to think about it that way is because if you believe that anxiety is something that we have to push away to avoid or go around, really what you're saying is that loss is something that you have to avoid, push away at all costs. And that is actually a deep heresy, a deep false teaching in Christianity that teaches that this is, we find this in the prosperity gospel or other versions, even less obvious than the prosperity gospel that essentially pictures God as what I call a cosmic insurance broker in the sky, (laughs) that God exists really just to underwrite our lives such that we can avoid all losses. And that's just flat out not true. It's not true to experience anybody that's actually lived (laughs) any, any number of years. And it's not true to scripture. And it's not true to the most fundamental revelation of God, which is Jesus, because Jesus did not avoid loss. He went to the cross. He died. He went through loss. And so this is why it's so important for us to recast anxiety that, oh, what anxiety is, it's like a signal to us. You are fearing, you are fearing some loss that is before you. And that is a great opportunity for us to recast our picture of God from all these false notions like the cosmic insurance broker in the sky to actually a presence that takes us through loss. And here's the most beautiful, most important opportunity is it gives us a chance to lean into the Christian, the Christ-centered response to loss, which is not make it go away, not avoid it, not seek some insurance policy that makes sure that your life will never be marked by loss, but actually to go through loss, to endure it, and to lean into the hope of the resurrection. Because that's the center of the Christian response to anxiety. It is not avoidance of loss, but actually restoration through loss, which is really two different things. You know, one of my favorite chapters was the one where you talk about the kind of through lines to eternity. And so I want to get to that. But before doing so, I want to kind of get to that other piece that you mentioned there about also how our Christian faith can help us to endure these difficult times of loss. And when we're feeling anxious, could you speak a little bit more to that enduring aspect? Yes. First of all, clarifies for us if we're willing to lean into our anxiety and let God investigate us in our anxiety to actually identify what is the core loss that's driving our anxiety. For Actually, for many people, the core loss is not what they are feeling superficially, right? So mm-hmm. for instance, when my daughters were applying for college, I was feeling a lot of anxiety about that. And on the surface, I could have said, oh, I want her to get into a good school. I want her to do well. And that was true. But when I actually received that parental anxiety as an opportunity for growth and invited God to investigate what was really going on for me through the spirit, it was really fascinating because I 
was convicted that actually a huge part of my anxiety was my own self-image of like, Mm. you know, what school they were going to get into was going to reflect on me, which is a profoundly disordered, unhealthy way to parent, right? (laughs) To to live your life through your kids. But my parental anxiety actually revealed that to me. It was a diagnostic that God used to say, hey, Curtis, here's what's really going on. Here's the underlying idolatry. And again, I'm not saying Mm. all anxiety has an idolatry underneath it, but some do. And anxiety is a wonderful, incredibly perceptive diagnostic tool if we're willing to let God, and Psalm 139 talks about this. The psalmist is asking God to investigate, to search my anxious thoughts. And that's an example of where anxiety has this opportunity if we're willing to go through it to actually go th- to experience spiritual growth, which for me, in that just specific example, was a really important act of, of spiritual growth for me as a parent. You know, you talked about really kind of that core behind the kind of anxiety symptoms in your own example. What would you say to somebody when they're examining and they invite God in the process and they start to realize that maybe in their case, it is actually more on the anxiety disorder where maybe it has more of a physiological component. Yeah. What would you say to that individual? I would say the opportunity there is to actually drill down and identify what is that core loss. And, you know, whether it's actually I'm fearing the loss of some self-image or I'm the loss of some relationship or financial provision. I mean, we all have different losses that really are at, you know, have lodged deeply in us as a fear, oftentimes from our childhood experiences. And so somebody that is you know, engaged in an anxiety disorder, I would say this is an opportunity for you to identify what is that core loss and realize that while there are ways to help kind of moderate some of the physiological, neurological pathways, loops you've gotten into through medication, through things like cognitive behavioral therapy, those are all good things. The spirit. I love that you used an evidence-based therapy approach. <laughs> That's right. So I really appreciate that. Well, we all know cognitive behavioral therapy is the <laughs> most well-studied gold standard for therapeutic responses to anxiety. So absolutely, along with you know certain medications. So taken under the care of a physician. So uh, those are all good things to help bring it down to some manageable level, such that you're not overwhelmed by it. But they're not spiritual opportunities. They're not spiritual growth steps, right? And so the spiritual growth is to look at that loss. And then to really ask God to, to take you deeply into what is God's promise around that loss, which, if you're really accurate to the model of Jesus, is not you will never experience that loss. It is actually how do we go through that loss with the hope, with the promise of God that in him, all of our losses will be restored to us as we go through death and resurrection. But that is a really different thing than avoiding loss, right? Death and resurrection means going through death, through all of our little deaths, all of our little loss and our ultimate loss, believing that actually just like God, the father raised Jesus from his loss, we too, as his children will also in Jesus be raised from our losses. And this is really the big at least for people who think deeply as practitioners, as as therapists and so forth. This is my big message to them in the book is let's connect Christian responses to anxiety to the distinctively Christian hope of the resurrection. Resurrection is the practice that defines, is the promise that defines the Christian response to anxiety. And we can certainly share a lot with 
secular mental health in mindful breathing in you know physical touch and in therapy and even in prescribed medicine all of that what we bring to the world that no one else brings that no secular mental health professional can bring is the proclamation of the promise of the death and resurrection of Jesus that we as Christians participate in and that has profound profound implications it's the only answer really that works deeply and decisively to anxiety because it's the only promise that is a response to loss that actually promises restoration. Hmm. Very powerful insights. So what would you say to somebody who's listening and maybe it's a family member or a close friend that they're starting to see anxiety kind of crippling their life to some extent? What would you say to that person? Well, I'm an author who is just as a book published. So I guess I guess the standard answer is start with by reading my book to help you <laughs> I guess. But no, I mean in all seriousness, I would say certainly get help to bring it to some manageable levels. And this is again where the prescribed response has some value, right? So if things are spiraling out of control, by all means see a doctor, see a psychiatrist, get therapy to get some place where you can start processing this by all means. But I do invite people to think of the book as a way to do that, to also not just think of it as a problem to just manage, and certainly not as a problem that you can make go away, but rather recast it as an opportunity. And my book has a number of ways that I really try to systematically take people through this opportunity. I think some other things that I would really, that I do describe in the book that I think anybody can do is also move towards others. Anxiety is a very isolating experience. It has, again, this trap where we think we have to be alone in our anxiety to somehow manage it, and it actually makes our anxiety worse. We are not meant to go through anxiety alone. Gethsemane is an example where Jesus, like, what did Jesus most want in his most anxious moment? As a human, as a human, what did, he wanted his friends to be with him in that anxious moment. So that is an example for us to move towards people. So I really encourage Christians to bring anxiety, bring mental health into their relationships, into their small groups, into their Bible studies, into their prayers. And this is another reason I wrote the book was to give small groups, communities, something that they can process, something that could catalyze honest conversations in, in a book discussion or a book club or just two people who decide to read a book together and just and talk about it. Because we need to, again, convert anxiety from a problem that we make go away. Because anytime we have a problem that, anything we have something that's defined as a problem we make go away, we're so vulnerable to shame or we're so vulnerable to actually, oh, there's something wrong with me. And so we don't bring it to others, which is precisely what we need to do to actually take advantage of its opportunity. So the shame issue, I know that's a a real big challenge when we talk about issues of anxiety and that it creates this kind of additional spiral where now we're anxious about feeling shameful and because we feel shameful and now we feel more anxious. (laughs) It's awful, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But sometimes that cycle also doesn't just play out in ourselves, but also in communities. You know, you talked earlier about, you know, some churches where the messaging might actually prevent people from coming forward to talking about their anxiety. So what are some things that say the local church can do to really tackle the issue of shame around anxiety? Yeah. Well, one great way for anybody who's listening out there, who's a leader in your ministry, a pastor or a Bible study leader or some other leader figure is to actually just normalize anxiety by sharing about one's own experiences of anxiety. So my book has a lot of stories about my own anxiety, including 
my most catastrophic experience of anxiety, which happened when I was a senior pastor of a church, of an evangelical covenant church in California. And I tell that story very deliberately because one, it's true. It was my most you know, catastrophic experience of anxiety. But I also wanted to model, especially for pastors, how much this is part of our experience, our own experience, that we as pastors struggle with anxiety. And, and all the Barna studies show how high the levels of anxiety are among pastors. And that there's an actual opportunity in that. And the opportunity is for us to normalize anxiety, to make it not a problem, but rather an opportunity. And so for us to actually be able to talk about it, speak about it, I think is a great way that communities can actually make this shift from problem to opportunity with anxiety. And as you reflect on your book, as we start to wrap up on our time here, what's that one takeaway that you'd really hope readers leave with after reading what you've shared? I think it's what I've just been saying all along is anxiety is not just a problem. It's an opportunity. In fact, I would argue it is probably going to be the most profound opportunity for spiritual growth because it gets at so such the fundamental issues of human life and human spirituality. Fear, loss, hope, love, all of these things are contained in our experience of anxiety. And so if we can think of it as something to unwrap, to use one image, or image of my subtitle of the book as a doorway that we can walk through, there's really just absolutely transformative spiritual growth that awaits you if you're willing to do that. Well, and Curtis, for listeners who may want to be able to check out your book, where can they go to find out more information? Yeah, several places. So certainly you can find it on any bookseller, Amazon, Barnes and Nobles and so forth, just anxiety opportunity, Curtis Chang. Also come to redeemingbabble.org. This is my organization that really is the platform for the launch of this book. We have a lot of other resources found on redeemingbabble.org that you can go to and or listen into our podcast. We have a podcast called Good Faith. And a lot of these episodes, we're connecting anxiety to other things, other issues in both society and in human life. And so if you're starting to realize, wow, anxiety is pervasive in your own life, come join the conversation with us at Good Faith. That's a Good Faith podcast. Again, found it on any streaming service as well. So redeemingbabble.org or Good Faith podcast, both either would be great places to continue the exploration. Well, Curtis, thank you so much for being with us today and for helping us to have a deeper biblical understanding of anxiety and uh, really challenge us to see it not as something to have to avoid, but to actually walk through. So thank you again for the great book and for the important work that you do to serve others. It's been great to be here, Jamie. Thank you. In closing, thank you for listening to the Better Samaritan podcast. Be sure to check out our show notes for helpful links and resources, including those to Curtis's new book. And as always, feel free to email us with your questions or comments at hdi at wheaton.edu. We look forward to being with you again soon as we continue together on this journey of learning to do good better. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism 
and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.